Hey, let's do this. I'm excited to start because it's episode 305 of No Laugh Track Podcast. This is Justin Severson, the host. Um, I am here with someone who hasn't been here in over four years, I think. I didn't look it up, uh, but it's got to be some kind of record in amount of uh, time passed in between appearances on this podcast. Chris Gethard is here. I like to keep him waiting. What can I say? Yes. And it, it's uh, your triumphant return, episode 304. Can you remember? Wait, three, you've done this 304 times? Oh, there's your podcast playing. Hey, can we hear that? Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, I've lived a- Say again? Yes, I've done 300 and some of these. That's 305. a lot of times to do a thing. Yeah, one a week. Wow. Yeah. Well done. And you were here last time at episode 88. Mm-hmm. I listened back to it. How was it? Good. Okay. I need to, we need to get some updates. All right. One of the things we talked about there is uh, you you were doing a uh, TV show that was going to get picked up by comedy. I'm totally kidding. Oh, no, that's true, probably, right? (laughs) But that's what was happening then. Yeah, we had a pilot for Comedy Central. You had just done the pilot. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. So they passed on that. Times have changed, Chris. Two seasons on the Fusion Network. Uh Uh-huh. Season, uh, I guess technically one season, but uh, what was it like... 26 episodes on True TV? Yeah. And now canceled. I, I, like a whole world history. Sort of come, been here. not full circle, but a lot's I, changed. I mean, probably more back to square one is what you would say. <laughs> not true. say, yeah. Yeah, not really, though. No, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'd say so. Doing all right. I, I'd absolutely say so. No, I wanted to look up the description of that uh, episode. It was you, uh, the, the, the pilot had been sold to Comedy Central. You were about to film your half-hour special. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And here we are now. Look at that. I mean, that half-hour special is, is so far in the past now, right? It is. Yeah. What a strange thing to think about. <laughs> now I'm back. All right. Yeah. Take it. Uh-huh. Take it. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you should. Yeah, that's good to take stock. Things have come come along pretty far. That's uh-huh. nice. Uh-huh. That's nice, yeah. I, uh... And in that, and also in that amount of time, I've become a big fan of yours. Thanks. Yeah. In fact, we used to record this podcast a lot on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. and I kind of had a routine where I would come here, do the podcast, get home, and that in that meantime, uh, my YouTube subscription to the Chris Gethard Show mm-hmm. would send me an update that there was All a new right. posting. Then I'd go home. Sit in my deck outside and watch the latest episode of the Chris Gethard Show. That sounds like a pretty pleasant way to spend time on a deck. It was fantastic. I like that story. Huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Thanks so much. Yeah. Now I just have to rewrite, since there won't be any new ones, I'm just going to have to rewatch the old ones, but yeah. that's okay. It's time to dive into the back catalog because we are done. It's kind of weird having you here. If this, I mean, that's pretty fresh. What it is. is. Today's so what? It's only that... the middle of October or August, I mean, and that was just a few weeks ago you found out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I sort of knew for a while, had a gut instinct that it was done. I, I actually told my writers about two or three weeks into our most recent batch of episodes, uh, I don't think we should do this anymore. So if other jobs come along, you should take them. I was trying to do right by the writers. Um, so I've sort of known for a while, but yes, it became formal just within the past few weeks. What... Uh I mean, you have plenty of things that you can do. What do you know? Has anybody ever grabbed a new? Has anyone grabbed a new job already for, that worked for you with you? Yeah, a few of our writers have already moved on. One of them's writing for a Comedy Central show. Um, trying to think who else is getting picked up for stuff. I don't know. That's the one that jumps out. Our writers are always uh, 
in demand because I think they have a good reputation for doing like very weird stuff cheaply. <laughs> so some of our people are getting scooped up. It's nice, and I hope everybody does because they're uh, hardworking people. I watched uh, an episode of the show with my wife the other day. It was actually the uh, I think it was the first episode of this most recent season with Abby Jacobson and the Cars. No, uh, no, it was the it was with the maybe I have it wrong then, but it was with the guys from Impractical. Oh yeah, yeah. So the yeah. first ever episode on True. That's the one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then it had the guy at the end where you went. Oh yeah, prizes. I went to Missouri and met that kid Nick. Yeah, he was really can you nice. can you can you expand on that? How that went down? Yeah, so basically we came out of the gate. The network, you know, Impractical Jokers is such a big thing, and uh, has such a huge fan base. The network was really making priority of let's see if we can get you their fan base. So um, we had them on the show at our first episode on True, and I've actually been pals with Sal Volcano for years. He used to come hang out at the Public Access show before Impractical Jokers existed. So. We've been buddies for years, and uh, he helped coordinate it. And we we did a thing where people could, uh, you know, where the Impractical Jokers would be destroying pinatas live on the air, and, and people at home could call in and win the, whatever was in them. And uh, we wound up giving a whole bunch of stuff to this dude at the end, and he lived in Missouri. So I just left that night. He randomly called in. We had to figure out where we're going, and uh, I just went to Missouri on no notice and dropped all this guy's prizes off with him personally. And the very next day. Yeah, yeah. There were no flights available from New York, which is crazy because we have three major international airports. Right. You take an Uber to Washington, D.C. to get a flight to St. Louis to meet this guy, Nick. And then we uh, came right back. We met, and we were probably only hanging out with him for like maybe 30 minutes at the end of it. Really? Yeah, yeah, but he was nice. <laughs> I like meeting people face to face. You know, I thought I thought that was a good way to come out of the gate for the True TV audience to show them... Uh, the experience I was trying to give people, yeah. trying to make TV feel maybe a little smaller and more personal. Uh, but it didn't work out, unfortunately, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, that Joker's fans never quite took to us, uh, but that's all right. I can't bend to anybody. As being a, being a fan of yours, it is interesting, the um, the positive and negatives of being like on the same network yeah, as those yeah. guys for you well, like I, I i had high hopes that there's some crossover like there's staten island guys i'm a jersey guy there's a lot of shared culture there i think our show has like a real like up you know up by the bootstraps feel uh that homemade quality that feeling that we just kind of like decided we wanted to do it ourselves and we went and did it those were things that i thought culturally we all had in common with the uh with the jokers and I think that I think I think those the four guys on the show actually do really identify with that and we all really hit it off but I just think that my show maybe had a little bit of like a artsy edge or a hipster edge that the uh that some of those uh some of those jokers fans were not quite looking for or and they let me know about it online yeah but there's also the I guess the flip side of that in that like me being a fan of your show, I'm not necessarily a fan of that, but right. they do. And I like their show. I mean, I, I started watching it right when it came on because Sal is such a friend. And I do like it. I think it's funny. I got nothing against it or them. Right. And I should also say that there was a big chunk of their fans who, when they gave us the thumbs up, they were just the sweetest people who got on board. That's good. But some of their fans who... It's tough. It was, it was tough that some of it was a very vocal negativity, which I don't think played great that's one thing i don't understand someone actually just messaged me like two days ago and was like you suck your show sucks i don't get why the jokers even went on it and i wrote back and i was like well we got canceled so 
you don't have to you don't have to worry about it anymore like 70 people lost their jobs you win i don't necessarily understand the instinct people have to be like outwardly vocal in negative ways online it feels like if you don't like something just uh put it on mute the jokers will be back on with like right any 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 second now so um, <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah that was a little tough that was a little tough and i think the uh the optics of that were not great because I think it was it was just very clear that we weren't totally catching them. Have you ever have you ever set up a um, what am I looking for a, a a buffer a barrier between you and critics online? Have you ever tried well, to do that or do you? Keep- I've had to I've had to learn more and more. I'm really bad about it. You know, for most of my career, things have been so small and underground, and I've always been very happy that way. But what happens then is like a a lot of the critics if they were professional, if they were finding us at all, it was generally because it was a positive thing because it was pretty hard to find what I was doing for most of my career. So it would be something that they heard about or they were seeking out. So, um, that, that was all right. I mean, certainly rising to a platform like true, there was a fear of like, Oh, is there going to be backlash and we're going to get some negative press, but the press has always been so kind. And I I think uh, a lot of people who review arts, saw our show and we're like oh they are trying something different and weird and risky and appreciate it as far as the like you know the social media side that stuff's so hard to navigate I've always had fun dealing with it like I, I used to answer a lot of like the trolls and I've done a couple of things where I've even gone and met trolls and talked to them face to face and I, I always thought that was a pretty interesting thing to do I will say that even I have hit a point where I'm like I just can't deal with it anymore i just don't what can i say if someone who um likes a different show on my network wants to send me a message telling me i'm ugly like what do you do it's just like such it's the bar for discourse is set so low that you can't engage and it's a shame because i I actually used to really love using the uh the like open avenue of communication that social media provided to build stuff creatively and interact directly with people yeah what happened it would just, I, I, you know, it, it's. I think I've just done enough stuff now, and uh, not patting myself on the back, but True is a national network. Like I did a special on HBO, and oh yeah, uh, it just kind of opens the floodgates, and it's it's no longer. Even the negative stuff used to be people who were at least taking a chance on watching a thing of mine. Now I think I'm on some platforms big enough that it just kind of winds up in front of them randomly. Oh yeah, and uh, they're not. They're not. That they're not people who are interested in a back and forth. They just want to put their negative opinions out there and then walk away. So that's made me have to kind of like turn off my involvement with all of it. Because it's also, I think, you know, I get in my head a lot. I'm a pretty sensitive guy, very emotional guy. I've never hit that. Right. And it's tough not to only dwell on the negatives, you know? Even, <laughs> even ending the show, it's like, we would get we got like thousands of tweets from people that were like reminiscing about their favorite parts or, or or thanking us for making it in the first place, and it's hard for me not to focus on like the half dozen people who said nasty things, yeah. you know. So that's not a healthy relationship um, with the internet, and I think for all of us, it's becoming harder and harder to maintain something that feels healthy in relation to that. So sure, can I, back can, off. <laughs> can can I ask? Because uh, I didn't. How did it go meeting up with? trolls it was really fun there were two big things i did one was years ago um this guy i was on a a sitcom in 2010 and it it, there were 10 episodes and it kind of bombed and that's okay 
but I found a post a guy put online. It was actually on IMDb on my message board, the message boards associated with my IMDb account, <laughs> where he went hard and he said things like, "My agent should hang herself." Holy cow! And 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 it was just so over the top that. I became a little obsessed with it. I thought it was just so fascinating to go that hard. And I, I in, in what is admittedly kind of creepy fashion, just internet detectived this person's anonymous name, managed to figure out he was this guy who lived in St. Louis. And I, I sent him a message and I said, you know, found your comment. I thought it was really amazing. I think a lot about it. I was like, I'm not mad. I'm not thrilled. But I'd love to talk to you about it. And if you ever want to make a video, let me know. I'll come to St. Louis. Like, I'll come to you. And he initially brushed it off. And he sent some comments back to me, some Facebook messages back to me that were, like, sort of uh, not apologetic, but kind of trying to justify uh, why he put it up there. And it, I was, really? I, I would have thought his – I'm imagining the initial reaction is, oh, lighten up, man. Just It's just – you know, was, just saying stuff. It's no big that, deal. It, it, it was more along the lines of him going like, look, I really reacted poorly to your show. I was also like – I'm an insomniac. Sometimes I get – I'm up in the middle of the night and I just uh, lean into internet stuff and stuff like that. Um, but then he, he, he said no. And, but, and then one day I got a message where he goes, hey, I'm in New York. I want to make that video. And I said, great. When? He goes, well, I leave tonight. So I said, all right, I guess we have to do it right now. So I had him come meet me, and I just had a little flip cam, and we filmed it. It's up on YouTube, and he stuck to his guns. He was like, I do stand by what I said. I don't think you're very good at what you do. <laughs> and it was pretty fascinating. And I have to say, I give him a lot of credit. I, just, I do, too. Yeah. yeah. I figured he was going to kind of go, oh, you know, people go a little crazy on the internet. Mm-hmm. But he was like, no, I, I I do honestly think you're – he was like, I think you're going to – all vitriol aside, all – Internet trolling aside, I think if you stay in this profession, you're going to have a really hard time of it. And I was like, okay, I respect that. Did you ask him what he did like Um, that isn't you? No, I don't know if I asked him that. I asked him what he did, and he was a baker. And I said to him, are you better at baking than I am at comedy? And he said, yes, undoubtedly. I am Hmm. better at what I do than you are what you do. It's pretty fascinating. Hmm. And then with the Gethard show, we actually had an episode where – this kid named Randy, he was a he was a teenager from Virginia, started coming at me hard, and I started going back and forth with him, and it wound up being really fun. He was someone who was just yelling at me. I was just venting, just yelling back. He was just like trying to shit on me, so I was shitting on him, and then it became like sort of a begrudging respect where I realized I was kind of like giggling, and then I started to pick up that he was having fun with it too. Sure. I said, Randy, why don't you come be a guest on my TV show, man? And we had him on. He was on an episode with Nick Kroll. And a goat. Oh, a yeah. Very, very cliche thing to say about the Chris Gethard show. We had a goat and Nick Kroll and a 17-year-old internet troll. <laughs> that, that does sound like my show. Uh, but he was a sweet kid. He was a pretty sweet kid at the end of the day. That's what, it, that's what was nice up until the past year or so was I often found that if I engaged with people, um, it would kind of break through the shitty behavior. And if I if I reached out as a human or responded and they realized it was actually getting to me, very often they'd go, oh, my God, I didn't think you'd actually see that. This is not who I really am. Uh, you got to trust me. I was just venting and sort of see people reconsider how they behave online. And, and that was pretty cool to be a part of. Cause it was a good reminder for me, too, about how to kind of conduct myself. Um, but this recent wave of it, it is just people... It is, it's funny. I think my, my HBO special, which was about my mental health issues, 
has brought like a tidal wave of people contacting me about their own mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And then the True TV fans, some of them have been coming at me with insults. And between those two things, I think I need a little bit of an internet vacation. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I could understand that. Let things blow over so it can just be, you know, looking at memes again like everybody else. <laughs> memes can still be fun. I love a good meme. And harmless. Who doesn't love a good meme? Yeah. Hey, I'm going to change the subject for just a second here since you brought up about taking a break from phones. Uh, and I talked to uh, Brooks Whelan about this last week briefly. I went and saw Jack White in concert oh, cool. a week and a half ago yeah. uh, in here in Minneapolis. And he's doing a thing now on his tour where it's phones free. Where when mm. before you get into the venue, you have to slide your phone into this bag that seals shut. You get to hold on to it, but you can't get your phone out of there until you leave. How do they make sure it stays locked? That's my first It's question. some sort of magnet. I mean, I didn't try r- ripping on it. Yeah. Uh, it's some sort of magnetic, I don't know. I've heard of people Some sort of this. technology keeps it closed. Yeah. I suppose if you really wanted to rip your thing open and get your phone out, you could. Yeah. But then as soon as they saw you with your phone, you'd be get tossed out. Right. So. Well, it's nice that you can get it in case of emergency. But they also, yeah, they leave, they leave it open. Uh, there's areas during the show where you can go and it's the, you know, you're away from the the uh, performance but you can get to your phone if you need to use it mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. otherwise you just wait till the end i thought it was great i think that's cool it's I've, i remember when i first heard about it a few times it sounded quite pretentious to do that in the world of indie rock but the more i think about it the more or comedy in comedy well even it's it is fun like i tell you as a performer i i don't want to ever want to be a diva i don't want to be a baby but when someone checks their texts because that buzz came in and they're addicted and they want the dopamine rush. I will say, when I'm standing on stage and it's totally dark and all of a sudden you see a pool of white light open up on somebody's face, it is immensely distracting. You mm-hmm. know, like last night, even here, someone in the back went to sneak a picture of me and they accidentally left their flash on. And I'm flattered that they want to take a picture, but my instincts kick in where I'm like, oh, wait, did I just get the light? Did I just. I've had to have that conversation from the stage a few times of, hey, just so you know, in comedy, when someone waves a light at you from the back of the room, that means you have to wrap it up. And I don't know right now if the club is telling me it's time to go or you just wanted a picture. Like That, so that, very, that very rarely happens here, but I saw that last night, yeah. and I thought, what the fuck? What? I know, yeah. It's, it just is distracting. And you know what? The thing is, the thing I feel bad about is I don't want to ever yell at anybody. I play with my phone too much, too. The problem is that when the pool of light goes up on one person and I get distracted— if I fuck up that joke, that means that the other 200 people here have not as good a show as I could have given them. Yeah. And I'm sure I'll get back on my feet or turn it into something or improvise off of it. But it's just a shame. It's just a shame. Not that I want to yell at the person or shame the person, but it's like you don't realize that you kind of are putting you're putting me in a position where... I'm distracted, and probably the people in your section are distracted. Yes. I, there was a, the group. Uh, I was here by myself. I showed up by myself mm-hmm. last night. Uh, and I was, this was a group sitting in front of me, clearly into the show, really enjoying it. Everybody's laughing. I think there was three of them in the group. And then, like, you know, there's probably maybe 15 minutes left in your set. The girl in front of me takes out her phone and is looking. I'm like, yeah. where, where did this go? What? what? It's just the You were here. You were with days. us all night. It's not, and I don't think it's a malicious thing. I don't even think it means she's getting bored. I think it is, she set her phone on vibrate. It's vibrated enough times. She's heard it or felt it. And she's just having that, like, 2018 anxiety of, like, oh, I wonder what I'm missing out on. I wonder what I'm missing out on. Yeah. I don't think it's malicious, but I do think it's disruptive. 
and it's a bummer, but I'm not gonna judge. I'm on my phone all the time. I'm trying to break the habit, but uh, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It is tough. It's tough for performance. I was reading something this morning about um. You know, when somebody did a survey and it it asked people, what's the last thing they look at before they go to bed? Mm-hmm. Whether is it their spouse or their phone or mm-hmm. the television? Mm-hmm. And it's scary how many people it's the phone or the television yeah. and not the person next to them. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, I fall into that trap. I mean, my wife and I, we like to watch Netflix on our iPad as we fall asleep. So at least it's a shared activity. Wait, one one iPad in between you? We'll take one iPad. It will generally sit on my stomach, and then she will put her head on my chest. Oh, and we watch wow. It. And we could, okay. Both of us, we, I, I, I don't have cable, which it's funny. Now that my show has been canceled, I can reveal I have never seen an episode of my show. I wanted on to TV. ask you that so bad. I'm so glad you cable. said that, Chris. I don't have cable, so <laughs> who am I to lament too hard the death of my cable show? It's a medium I don't pay for because uh, it's not a factor in my lifestyle anymore. I'm so glad you said so that. So if I don't have it, I, I would imagine that people who are fans of mine maybe aren't clamoring for cable. Anyway, we will pick one show at a time and we just watch that show start to finish. And it's like a nice little shared husband-wife thing. Mm-hmm. It's, nice. it's a good time. What are you watching now? Um, uh, Castle Rock. Yes. Stephen King one on Hulu. It's awesome. Oh, okay. It, like, you know how he set a bunch of his stuff in the town of Castle Rock? Or yes. Yes. The show set there in a kind of sort of like retrofits a cinematic universe style thing where there's a lot of references to his work that come up. And it's uh, it makes them live in the same world. And it is great thank you but for the it, recommendation yeah you know but it's it's jj abrams and i'm i'm worried it's gonna have that lost thing where i'm like oh there's so many mysteries right Uh-oh. now but are they going to resolve in yeah. a satisfying way will these tie together at the end or leave me hanging we'll see but yeah. i'm having a hell of a time being along for the ride okay good yeah. good do you ever watch the stand-up on netflix i do you do i do i mean there's so much of it now yeah. that i don't watch all of it um I'll watch stuff that I hear is good. I'll watch stuff from comedians I've historically liked. I'll watch stuff that friends do. Okay. Um, not every not everybody does. No, not, not, not all comics watch other no, people's and you know, stuff. If, I, if I'm working hard on something, uh, if I'm like working on a set, I actually do tend to avoid watching other comedians like The Plague because I don't want to unconsciously suck up ideas other people are playing with. And if I have ideas that exist, I don't want to find out other people are playing with those ideas yeah. and feel like I need to bail on. I do think there's like, you know, in the code of ethics among comics, I think if uh, if somebody was to come up to me and say, oh, I'm kind of been doing a similar bit, I think I'd go, oh, I've never seen it and I've been doing mine for X amount of years and we can both be okay with that. I think if they came up and said, I've been doing that and I go, I know, that's a different thing. So yeah. I tend to avoid it, especially the people who kind of are in the same sort of like storytelling, self-deprecating, um, maybe more alt end of the spectrum. Sure. I tend to avoid those as I'm like ramping up towards something that I think might be special. I just thought of one more question I wanted to ask you. I have a billion other things I want to talk about. I have one more thing about the Chris Gethard show. Mm-hmm. What do you, When people, dis, like most articles about it, especially the ones, well, I would say, you know, it was covered quite a bit, as you know, uh, when it was announced that it was going to be on True TV, when it was going to be on Fusion, right? Fusion, yeah. And yes. then now since it's been uh, canceled. Yeah. Uh, it has got like the Rolling Stone, all these yeah. huge, you know, publications mm-hmm. have written about it, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, we got uh, very lucky with that. I did read an article or an interview with you when it's and you said something about it, people's attention span yeah 
I think there's a sad but true thing about it. It was funny. When uh, the network, the, the president and vice president of the network took me out to lunch, and that was when they asked me if I wanted to keep doing it, and I was like, I, I not, not like this. And I know it needs changes, so I, I just don't think I have it in me to make them. Um, there was a, an article, I think it was maybe IndieWire, did a, a, a review of our finale that was so validating to read. This this reviewer really, really got it, what we were going for. Like, it's one of those things with my show where it's like, you know, you watch the show that we put out into the world, but there's also kind of the story of the show and how it came to be. There's like the long running thing of getting to know the people on it. There's some levels to it that if you buy in, I think that's where it really gets addictive. It's less about me getting tossed into a dunk tank and more about this like evolving ecosystem we've built where all these people come and go and you get to see us sort of grow up over time. And, uh, he really got all that stuff and, and, and wrote about it beautifully, and I was so thankful. And and the president of the network was like, your show gets us press like that, and holy shit, like, no offense to the other shows. I don't think they're getting, like, critical praise like that. Some of them are. I just remembered, by the way, what I was going to ask you, that ties right into this, is yeah. your feelings on it being its cult status. Yeah, we never totally broke through, you know? We never totally broke through. And I think I'm okay with that at the end of the day. I'd rather have it die on the vine uh, with cult status than have it survive longer with bigger mainstream success but being a thing that I don't like. I would much rather that. And I know that's easier to say now that it's said, but it's like I always maintain that. Like I'd rather kill it the right way than do it the wrong way. So very happy with that. And I think the cult status of that, you know, there were times where it was like, ah, how do we get beyond that? But it's also very empowering. It's also very empowering when, when someone gives you notes to say, you know what? I know for a fact that the existing fan base would not like this. They'd rebel against this. It, it's a source of strength, you know, because at the end of the day, one of the fun things about it being a cult is that I was a member of the community that surrounded it. Mm -hmm. like, um, I could participate. I knew the people. I'd see their names. I'd meet them in person, come out on the road, meet somebody and be like, oh, you've called the show four times. It's so cool to meet you in person. So they were an immense source of strength as well, the cult, because they... Uh, they allowed me to kind of stand up for myself and know that there was this um, strong block of people that had my back. Because I think the network knew we want to make appeals to go more broad and get more people sucked into it. But the tricky thing is we can't do anything that's going to turn off the existing fans and chase them away. That would be counterproductive. So they were a real source of strength. As far as the attention span thing goes, though, that article that the president of the network said to me, he's, he read that review and he was like, it's incredible. He's like, but even reviewers said the show is an hour long and that's it. It, it is a tough sell in the modern landscape. I said, I know I am learning that more and more. Like I grew up on Letterman where you wanted to watch the whole thing. I grew up on SNL when you watch the whole show at night. Now people watch all those things in clips. I don't think anybody's watching full episodes of, uh, of a late night show start to finish anymore. I think it's, they watch the clips the next day online. And yeah. I don't like I used to. No, I don't either. I must admit. And, uh, I think at the end of the day, my show was built and was at its best as a start to finish experience. And that is a little bit of a square peg round hole type thing. Mm -hmm. in modern TV, um, convincing someone to sit down for an hour is a big ask. And I think the, uh, I think the out of context clips of my show, we're still pretty funny a lot of the time. But I don't think it's, I don't think you get the big picture. Like, you'd think of it as like sort of like a goofy, a pretty goofy show that did a lot of physical stuff, almost like stunt driven stuff. But you wouldn't get the bigger picture of 
oh, here's this guy who's kind of depressed and trying to hold the ship together, and he's got all these friends, and they sort of respect him, sort of don't. <laughs> it gets out of control a lot of the time. Like All those things that I think made it special don't show up in two-minute clips. Sure. And uh, I think that was... That was a thing that I think the network was realizing um, we weren't good at and that we probably weren't going to get good at. I just don't think that was going to happen. I don't think you can bottle um, what was really at the heart of it into a 90-second Facebook clip. It's, I just don't think it would happen, but that's the way the world these days. That's what people... That's how things spread and people learn, so... Yeah. You know, it's... Uh you never know how somebody's going to hear about something. I mean, I'm thankful that because of, uh, you know, I think it had a lot to do with my position of being a huge comedy nerd and hosting this podcast and having you on four years ago that I found out about that show. I, don't, I mean, I admit it. I, I didn't know about your public access show four and a half years ago Nobody living in did. Minneapolis. Why would I? Nobody did. No, but then I met you, saw you do stand-up, uh, and then all of a sudden I get like, well, he's going to be on you know, TV, and then I'm... You know, then I was hooked. That's awesome. Yeah. It's funny. I, uh, to this day, the way people tell me that they found my work, it is as varied and weird as you can imagine. I bet. It is just, I have, I have been able to build a nice little fan base that supports me. And I can tell you so honestly, it is like an individual by individual case of how they got on board. I imagine so. My, my podcast was the first thing that was kind of like a big wave of people all at once that came in through one project. Before that, it was individual by individual getting on board, telling their friends. Sometimes you'd see like there was like a little group of kids in Michigan that one of them found it and then they would all watch the other five or six kids in Austin. There's a group in Baltimore and, uh, but where you knew, oh, the, where I would know, okay, we got eight fans in Baltimore because this one kid, Will, found it. And he called <laughs> all his friends. Thanks, Will. And then they Skyped into the shawl together, and a couple other Baltimore people realized there were more Baltimore people, and they posted about it online, and now they all hang out. And it's like, and that's where my eight fans in Baltimore came from. Yeah. You know, like, wow, what a weird thing to actually see one by one. There was one, I remember once. There was this kid named Shelby from Kentucky who started calling the public access show. They had seen me on Conan. And this kid started calling. And then all these kids started calling. They were all from Asbury University, which I had never heard of. And then we did a thing um, with the show where we traveled cross-country and, and went and kind of visited people in random fashion. And we wound up going to the campus of their school. And it was like an ultra-born-again Christian school, which I don't judge at all. But it's very out of character for comedy fans, I would think. My fans, I'm a Northeastern liberal, like, lapsed Catholic. <laughs> I, don't, I curse a lot. Like, and it was just so funny to realize, yeah, this one kid, Shelby, a band he liked was playing Conan. He tuned in early, saw just, me. Yeah. Thought it was cool. Started showing it to everybody on his dorm. It became a weird, cool thing on the campus of this school. And then everybody started hearing about it. And a crew of like 20 kids on campus at Asbury University. They were all born again kids. And they loved it. And I loved that. It became these weird little pockets like that all over the country. You know what I'm realizing is there's there's guys out there, well, people out there that are fans of yours. That what you're that uh, the, the, the fandom of you is 
sort of like their probably initial bond. I, only I'm saying this because I have oh. a friend like that in college. Uh, you know, mystery science theater had already been mm-hmm. ar- around for a while, mm-hmm. but when I was in college, is when it would hit. When it hit Comedy Central, and all of a sudden got a bigger audience. But being from the Twin Cities here, I knew about mystery science because my right. dad told me about it uh-huh. when it was on public access. Yeah, or not public access, channel twenty three or whatever. Yeah, it is. Yeah, U- yeah. UHF. Yeah, yeah. And, it's true. It's true. And then I, I, to this day, one of my closest friends is a guy that we used to get together Friday night. I'd be throwing a party at my house in college, but we would sneak downstairs to my bedroom and put on the episode of Mystery Science and watch it on and off throughout the night. Yeah. And we still and get together. We still get together and watch and go to their Riff Tracks movies yeah. that are live in it's theaters. Awesome. Yes. I have that same thing. I think, I think in the time of my show, I feel like it coincided with such a big boom in comedy and podcasting. Mm-hmm. Com- and comedians who weren't mainstream becoming a little bit like Mark Maron becoming a household name. Yeah, you know, for someone sure. who'd been around for years. And I think in that era, as things were blowing up, I look back now and realize I think the kids who found my show were the same kids who would have found college radio in the 80s. You yeah. know, like it was this thing where they were like, there's a sort of fundamental choice based on integrity that we like that is find the stuff that is intentionally non-commercial and underground and driven by integrity more than quality. Correct. And it was it was very much the same way kids found DIY music and college radio and yep. and that was the culture. It had I think a little bit more culturally in common with the way music used to spread than the way comedy traditionally spreads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I was we, lucky, lucky, I, to, lucky to experience it all. Hell yes! I want to talk about the podcast you're doing now. Mm-hmm. I will admit that I haven't been a listener for a long time because there are so many podcasts out there, yeah, and I got my own jobs and my own to put together. And uh-huh. I, I am trying. I'm also. This is just a. I, I want to get this out there. Maybe uh, I'm a subscriber to Satellite Radio. Yeah, me too. Uh as I'm adding more and more podcasts to you know to my list, yeah, it's it, I'm starting to think maybe uh, there's not enough time for everything that See, I want I to get in my ears. Satellite radio, I did too because I missed that. I missed that feeling of something random and new being thrown at me. Okay, like having someone curate something, and I get to stumble into it and go, "What is this?" Like that feeling is not one I experience so much anymore because you. You find out about things, right? And then you find out about a band, you go to their band camp, you're already kind of opting in because you've heard about it somewhere. I missed that feeling of turning on a radio and going, wait, what? What have I missed the boat on? I got to go download this. I got to go find out more about this. So Yeah, I like I that. Like it. That's, I like it. That's a very good point. I... Um... <sighs> Beautiful Anonymous is fantastic. Thanks. Last night after I came home from your show and I was telling my wife, I, I said, you know, I said, I, I know you don't listen to podcasts and I'm not, you know, including mine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, I, you know, that I, that's fine. But I'm just curious. I said, because of how popular they are, how much I love listening to podcasts. I said, what would get you? What would be the topic? I said, the reason I'm even bringing this up, because Chris Gethard's show, I think you would get into. That's awesome. I think Thank it's you. it's it's not just for men certainly it's mm-hmm. uh it's for it seems like it's for everybody uh yeah. and it's like the i know that she loves those um like the shows on in like dateline or whatever where they do the the true holly the true story yeah, of yeah, this yeah. Re- regular person that may have been you know and that's what your show is it's real people Thanks, i think man. she would really like that i've had a lot of fun with it it's been such an interesting thing for me because 
it grew in a direction pretty quickly where it's not comedy. It's not a comedy show. Sometimes it's funny. Yeah. But very often it's dark and it's much more sort of like human interest stories or like slice, human interest. That's what life. I was trying to say. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like these slice of life glimpses into people's lives and opinions. And I'm so lucky to do it. But I also I turn around and I'm like, most of the people who buy tickets to my shows are fans of the podcast. They're not necessarily comedy fans. It's such a weird thing um, that it's not necessarily a funny show all the time. But I'm, I'm so lucky that it broke the way it did. It really changed my whole career. I've, I'm a new member of the Facebook group. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sweet people. Yeah. 30,000 strong. It's nuts. Congrats, really man. Nuts. I mean, it's amazing. Thanks. I am so lucky to be a part of it. For a while, I was almost bitter because it came in and just kind of blew up out of the gate. And I was like, I've worked so hard on my TV show for years and have never had this explosion of enthusiasm. And I was almost, like, mad. I understand that. Yeah, but I took a step back, and I was like, this is, like, um, such a new thing and a new experience, and I have to embrace it. And I also realized, I also took a breath and went, you know what, too? Like, it's much more reflective of who I am at the age of 38. The Gethard Show was an idea I initially had when I was about 27. That's when I started thinking of it. And I'm a much different person now. And I think it's a little more laid back. It's a little more grown up. It's a little bit less um, chip on the shoulder. And that is much more who I am now than, than who I was. So it makes sense to me. And, and having the podcast going well was a huge source of strength when I realized I think I'd like to end the TV show. Okay. I was curious about that. I already have another project up and running that, that is, is popular and that I think does fit my personality a little bit better in 2018. Okay. So that was a source of strength. I was very heartbroken to let the show go, but of course, beautiful anonymous really made me feel okay about it. And you're what, like 130 episodes in? Yeah. 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 That's so cool. I was describing the uh, few different episodes uh, to my wife. One of them was, uh, I know from what I've read, is uh, definitely one of the more popular ones. It was the woman that was about to be going to federal prison in like two, three days. Four days. Four days. I was was, turning her into. I was describing that to my wife. And I was like, listen to this. And she's standing there, like, listening to my every word. I go, this is an example of his show. I said, you would love this stuff. Yeah. So we we had. A lady who was four days away from a, a four-year federal prison stint telling us about what she was doing to get ready. Then you, we'll have episodes. We had another one from, like, a guy who works at the post office who was telling us about that. But he was also a dude who he was a, a gay guy who did a bunch of coke and got in a fist fight with his partner and got arrested. Chris, I, on the drive over here, I was listening to that, and I just yeah. got to the part where he said cocaine. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. So it's just very different tonally. And, you know, we've had someone who escaped from a religious cult and another one that was just a guy talking about different times he pooped his pants. It's like whatever people call in and they want to talk about, I'm ready to talk about it. And I, I kind of like that it's... uh a little bit of like an archive of like here's who people were and what they were dealing with in real time in the eras that they happened. I now I imagine a lot of people are curious about updates of the, from these people, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, we're actually. It's funny you mentioned that. I'm, I actually just uh, I just signed a contract to do a companion series that's going to be what follow ups. Yeah, yeah. So we're no way. I think we're going to do ten of them to start, and it's. Uh, so, like 10 of the people that, that I think the listeners are most like, what, 
happened with them. And I think it'll be out end of this year, beginning next year. No kidding. Yeah. That's so cool. Let me look at the... All right. I know you have some place to be, so let's talk quickly about the fact that you have a book coming out soon. Yes. Last night, one of the first things you did on stage is tossed one into the audience. Yes. Which I don't think I've seen before. Publishing companies letting me give away press copies to try to help sell some pre-orders. Sure. Yeah. It's called Lose Well. Second book? Third book. Or third book. That's right. Third book. Yeah. And, uh... I'm excited to see how it goes. The company that bought it, they came to me, which is a nice change of pace in my career. I didn't pitch around. And they are a self-help company. And uh, I was not totally comfortable with that. So I wound up writing a book that's like a combination of a lot of funny stories. And then also just sort of like, hey, I've been chasing a dream for 18 years. There's a lot of stuff I've learned through trial and error. This is it. Not melodramatic, not hippy-dippy. Zen tap into the cosmos type of advice, but just more like, hey, so I've r- I ran into this wall about a hundred times, and then I eventually realized this. So I'm just going to tell you this thing I learned, and then maybe you don't have to run into the wall so many times. And uh, I'm just excited to see how people like it. I don't know if they will, <laughs> but I'm going to put it out there in the world and try. So it'll be out in October. October sixteenth. Yeah. October sixteenth. Available for pre-order now. And then will there be a book tour? Yeah, there'll be a little bit of something like that. I think like, I think maybe like ten cities. Okay. Um, doing like my club tour now, which I think will be about ten cities, and then the book tour towards the end of the year will be like small theaters, and that'll be like another ten, and then I'll take some time off the road. Because I'm tired. I was going to, that's one of the things I wrote down I wanted to ask you is when are you going to take some time for yourself? Ooh, I got it. I know, I know on stage you talk about how, how uh, workaholic your father. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I, it, I inherited And that. then you inherited that. And uh, yeah. yeah. So what are we, what's the status of that now? Um, I mean, I took a pretty big vacation in January. That was nice. I went to Sri Lanka for three weeks. Wow. So that recharged the batteries. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually, I'm doing two more club weekends the next two weekends. And then I'm coming off the road a little bit. I'm doing a festival in London and a festival in Toronto in September and then taking a bunch of September off and the first half of October off just to recharge the tank before I go back out after the book's out. Sure, sure. Um, Lori so, Kilmartin yeah. was here a couple of weeks uh, ago. It was great. Yeah, and she's written a few books. Yeah. And <laughs> we started talking about the uh, book signings and, you know, where she'll do a little reading. And <laughs> when I, when we got to the part where she talked about the people that come up and say, I, I, I love, I think your book is a great idea. And they show up for the reading and then don't buy one. Right. Yeah. She, right. She was like, I want to <laughs> strangle yeah. those people. <laughs> yeah. It is a little tough. I, I, I will say I'm so lucky. Lucky, but you know, fans of mine tend to be sort of introverted, a little nervous at times, and you know, I'm I'm proud that I've made some stuff and flattered that I've made some stuff that makes people want to like open up to me a little bit. There are times where it's like there's a line of thirty people and I'm selling merch. Someone comes up and we have a very heartfelt, tender conversation, and that always means the world to me. And then they walk away and don't buy anything, and I'm like, oh my god, thirty people just had to wait. Yeah, for us to have a heart to heart. Yeah, please. Heart to heart's welcome, but go to the end of the line. Yeah. Please let the other people buy their stuff and go home to let the babysitter off the hook. Uh-huh. Let that happen first, please. Yeah, I, uh, I've i I've kind of got a routine here at the club now where I usually hit the road really fast when the show is done. Yeah. Especially because I know, I mean, I'm in the awesome, thankful, I'm so thankful that I'm in the position where I get to come and then, you know, spend some time with whoever. Yeah. Like, I don't need to just take somebody else's time right. after the show right. out there. And I, and I walked by, I was one of the first ones out of the club last night, I walked by a uh, brand 
Brandon, one of the managers here, was standing there with uh, some albums. Looks like you're selling yeah, and, the, yeah, and some books, books and, and everything. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I wanna. Nope, I'm just I'm gonna <laughs> leave this for everybody else. I'm gonna leave it because I know how Chris is like. His yeah. fans are really connected to him, and I don't want to get in the way. It's beautiful. If you're listening to this, I'm not mad. Some people are gonna hear this, gonna feel bad and feel like I'm mad that they didn't. No, just wait till the end of the line. Right. I'll talk to you all night long. Right. 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 Me. Let me make my cash first. <laughs> I think if people just even know a little bit about you, know that that's genuine, what you just yeah, said. That, yeah, yeah, it's not bitterness. It's uh-uh. not anger. It's just, I, it's not, and it's not even like I necessarily care. It's more like, like I said, like some of these people have babysitters or some of these people have to get up for work in the morning. So, oh yeah, that's a big thing. They want to go. They want to move quick. Let's just be nice. Yep. 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 Let it happen. For sure. Uh, did I say this at the beginning? You know, the other thing that you mentioned when you were here for episode 88, in addition to the half hour that was about to be recorded, uh, Chris Gethard show uh, pilot for Comedy Central is also you were engaged at the time. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, my wife is here in town with yeah. me. Look, Look at, that. at that, huh? That's so funny to think. Of. Yeah, I think that was. I, I think it was February 2012. I was here. Yeah, or no, uh, March uh, f- 14. 14. It was March, I believe. I wrote it down. No wait, I would have been. Three oh, yeah. five March fifth. We February, recorded March fourteen. I got married August thirtieth, twenty fourteen. Yeah. See, engaged, and and I tell you, I really like being married. Yeah. That's how that one turned out. Uh-huh. The update. I got married for the second time in the in between these nice. times you too. Liked it so much you did it twice. That's yeah. awesome. Yep. That's two awesome. two and done. Nice. Yes. 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 <laughs> two and done. Not not doing it again. We're sticking with this one. Uh, I know, I want to let you get to where you need to go. I want to ask you just one more fun thing. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how long ago this was, but I saw a video of you talking about all these delicious sodas that yeah, you like. I love sodas. Yes. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Give me give me just a couple that I should uh, look for. Well, uh, the, the, I really like I like fruit. What like uh, like a good strawberry soda? I really like. Well, I'll tell you. I think there's one that's actually. Minneapolis based if I remember right there's a company called Joya J-O-I-A I believe and they are okay. the, I think they're the only company I've ever seen that has an apricot soda oh it's very good very, very good. good so that's a, I, I believe they are brewed in this area how about a good root beer you like root, you like root beer Virgil's Bavarian Nutmeg Special Edition is, is really good but you have to get it very very cold I also like Dang Butterscotch Root Beer it's root beer with a butterscotch flavoring oh. that's very good as well um, That's a little different, like than the vanilla. Type. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Butterscotch. It's really good, and it's great. To, that's great to make a root beer float out of because it has. It's like. You get an ice cream sundae, but you don't even have to pour the butterscotch on. It's in there. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Those are the root beers I like. All right. I'm thinking. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's more, but those are the two that jump out. And finally. I bet you don't know that you still follow me on Twitter. From the last time you were in town, you're probably being a really nice guy and followed me back when we posted about the show. I'm ha- I, but I, I guarantee you don't know you follow well, me on Twitter. There are tons of people I follow on Twitter, and I enjoy reading my whole timeline. But where I'm like, I wonder where I met this person. Yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I that your tweets jump out and I go, oh, "That's the guy who once did the podcast." But no, 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 no. Oh. Well, that's fine. So sorry. <laughs> that's you fine. Nailed me to the wall on that. One. Gotcha, <laughs> journalism at its finest. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, we'll leave, and we'll leave with that. Yeah, no hard feelings. Awesome. <laughs> thank Chris, you so much. Thank you. Continued success.